be reading through the 17 verses of this well-known psalm, a psalm of Moses. We'll be looking particularly at the first two verses this evening. Before we begin to read, let us seek God's illumination upon us. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, make us receptive to your word, and may your spirit truly speak to us. Help us to hear what you would say to us. And we would bring glory and honor to your name. May your word be clear, and may it be the word which brings us joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 90, the word of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set your, our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's for the reading of God's most holy word. Turning the page on the calendar from one year to another is often a time in which we perhaps look past and remember to praise God for the many good things that have happened, for his blessing upon us. We think about what the coming year might have in store, and we ask God to be gracious to us in those things as well. 
But as we look forward, we may also very well find ourselves filled with concern, maybe even a measure of fear for what might be in store based on what we see. Now, it's rather common for every generation that when we get to a certain age, we look at life and we say, wow, what has happened? Where is this world going to? It was so much better when we were young. And then when the generation that is now young gets to be our age, they say the same thing. And the previous generation, when we were young, probably said the same thing. And it goes on from generation to generation. You know, from a human perspective, and from a reality perspective, looking at the world in which we find ourselves in, in 2023, there certainly is a lot that we can point to in our world and find ourselves quite concerned. It's true for everybody at every age. What new virus will we face next? What health issues will we have to deal with? What will the stock market do? Where will inflation go? Now, we could look at some of those things, the stock market, inflation, and we say, well, they're just physical things. They really don't count that much overall. But then we can look at the church, and we can look at our academic institutions, we can look at the culture and the things that we see on the TV, virtually that we can't have a commercial when there's children in the room. How do we respond to these? Do we face the future with fear and trembling? Or do we face it with hope and confidence? You see, what we are really dealing with here, what we really need to consider, is how do we understand God when we look at what's going on around us and we respond to those sorts of things? How do we understand God in terms of who He is? And then further, how do we understand our relationship with Him? That's exactly what the psalmist is dealing with here in the first two verses of Psalm 90. We want to look this evening at what he says in terms of who God is and what that means for us. We're going to look at the first two verses of Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. And as we look at these, remember that we are looking at life then through the lens of Scripture. And from there we take into account that there is a God, and He has called us out of this world unto Himself. And we see that the psalmist begins with, the connection of God's people and God. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And yet even as that statement is made, 
we see that immediately, in fact, the basis for making that statement is pointed to in the very next verse in terms of who God is. He underscores the reality of our dwelling, our connection with God by reminding us that he is the eternal creator of God. You know, there are people, and we are well aware of this, there are people who hate God. There are specifically those who despise and deny that Jesus is the Savior. But there are also, and it's not too difficult to think about this, there are also those who say uh, that I have a relationship with Jesus. I love Jesus. We're close. He means a great deal to me. And yet, such a statement, which is of course correct, and I trust that we can all say that. But it is very often reflects a very simple, uninformed, emotional feelings that we have about God. It makes me feel good. And again, yeah, it ought to. It makes me feel good to have Jesus in that way. But the question is, what Jesus, what Christ, what God are you talking about in terms of those convictions that you confess? You know, when the psalmist, in this case Moses, speaks about his relationship with God, he immediately reminds himself and us this evening who this God is. And he mentions three very important, what we call attributes, that is, characteristics about God. He is eternal. He is the creator. And he does not change. Just this past week, someone pointed out to me, and I don't know, I have no way to verify this, but I trust that he knows what he's talking about. But someone pointed out to me that of all that mankind knows about this creation, there is yet 97% of this creation that we know nothing about. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? And yet that of which we do know, mountains, of course, a pretty big thing, aren't they? You don't just very easily move in a set of mountains and then move them out again when you're done with them. But it is easy for God. First of all, it is easy for God in this way. He is before the mountains. Before there were mountains, and it's fairly well impossible to comprehend, to think about a beginning and an end to the mountains. And thus to say that he was there before is to say that he is eternal. There is no beginning with God. With mountains there is a beginning. With God there is not. He simply is. There's no real way to think about or to really describe 
that concept. Other than to simply say that God is, always has been, always will be. Because there's nothing that we can point to in our world, in our creation, that would in some way help us to understand this fact that God was there before the mountains were created. And so when you look at those things around you, we look at, at what is out there in our world, God sees them differently. Now before you seriously consider and contemplate the question, what has happened to our world, before you get all wrapped up with how things can be so bad, probably most importantly, we ask ourselves the question, how can we survive even in this pagan culture that we find ourselves in? Remember, this is God's creation. He brought those mountains into existence. He placed them where they are at. Not only has he created as the creator, he upholds this creation. He keeps those mountains where they are at. He upholds all of this creation by the very palm of his hand. I certainly do not want to make light of the things that we deal with in life. They are serious. There are many people who have seriously dealt with weather issues in the last week or two. We know what diseases can do. We see the lawlessness on the street. It's a scary proposition. But the God who brought forth the mountain is more powerful. He is not just on the sideline there watching, waiting to see what this world is going to do with itself. He guides and directs as the creator God, every part of his creation and life in it. I want to remind you of what our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism states about the creator God in question and answer number 26. Speaking of God as the creator, it says, that we confess this together, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth, and with all that in them is, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence. Now, of course, the things that we struggle with, the things that we deal with, the things that are uh, uh, troubling to us and we wonder how we can deal with them, is because of sin. We've done it to ourselves. Because of the depraved mind which leads to the foolishness of this world and the curse of sin. And yet God is not the creator of evil. But the creator God does guide and directs the affairs of men and of nations according to his purpose and for your ultimate good. Every detail of your life, every detail of what we will hear about and read about in the news in the year 2023 will be by the sovereign 
supervision of the Creator God. That does not necessarily help you deal with what your portfolio looks like tomorrow or how to keep gas and car or food on the table or keep everybody healthy. But it does give hope and confidence and a contrast to the one who knows God about the life that we live. Now, finally, of this God, of whom Moses says that we have been, he has been our dwelling place, finally Moses says, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You see, the eternal God of creation does not change. The God of the year 23 or the God of the year 1023, or the God of the year 2023, is the same. We may look back at life and say, yes, things have really changed, and we may even have a nostalgic sort of look and say it'd be better if we were still like it was back then. And even be convinced that the way to assure us from continuing to go in the wrong direction is just make sure that we never change and always do everything the same. Well, the reality is that it is God who does not change. What we do, and certainly we praise God and we are grateful for those who've gone before us. But that's not the standard. God is the standard. He is from everlasting to everlasting. It behooves you to constantly and continuously with fresh ways be sure that you are faithful to the everlasting God. You see, as we have been reminded and considered who God is, before we then look at our relationship with God, I want to remind you what the Apostle Paul, when he was walking in the city of Athens, Greece, and as he was walking along and noticed all of the different idols that were there, because they were a people who, who worshipped a multitude of gods, and in order to even make sure that it wasn't one they missed, they set up an idol to the unknown God. And of that, Paul says this, we read of it in Acts 17, verses 22 through 28. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, not as he served by human hands, nor as he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted 
periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, not only does Paul say that this God whom you are trying to find, he is the God of creation, but also because he is the God of creation. It means everything regarding our life. As he said, in him we live and move and have our being. You see, to make sense of the reality that we are dealing with, you need to begin with God. You need to remember that He is the eternal Creator God. If you do not live and move and have your being in Him, then indeed 2023 is scary. And so is every other year for anyone who seeks at any point in time in history to not dwell in the presence of God. Think for a moment about the life of Moses. He was supposed to be put to death while being born. He was not able to grow up with his family. He was raised in a situation of privilege, but yet of great idolatry. He had to flee for his life from that privilege. He found his life in the desert, and yet God sent him back. And in the wilderness, he was headed for the land of milk and honey, he could not get there. And with all of that, filled with danger and opportunity to turn away from God, what does Moses say about life? He says, you, that is God, have been our dwelling place in all generations. You see, the generations which suffered and died in slavery, the generations which troubled Moses again and again, and yet a generation ready to enter the promised land. And all of these he acknowledges that it is not about this history. It's not about what he saw as he looked forward to the next year. It is about what he understood. Life is with God. That's what makes the difference. You claim Jesus as your Savior. That's great. I trust that you do. But when you get up in the morning, what's on your mind? When you plan your week, when you concern yourself with the foolishness of this world, how does your relationship with God, with your Savior, really fit into all of that? Now, certainly we must deal with life in a responsible way. We must take seriously the challenges before us, and they are tremendous. But is your concept of your relationship with God one that says, well, I hope someday I will be with the Lord in eternity. But right now, I guess I just got to struggle and get through this. Yes, there is an aspect of that. Or do you understand that when you see the bold advancement of transgender life, the lawlessness rampant in the streets, the foolishness that causes 
your dollar to be worth less again and again and again. The list goes on. Is that what your life is? Is that the extent of your reality? Or do you see as Moses did? And as he really said, life that really matters is life that's gone. Not just someday, but now. In him we live and have our being. What Peter has in mind when he refers to believers as sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner is one who's living in a world and in a land which is not his. Yes, the things out there are real. And yes, from that perspective, they are scary. But that's not what our life is at. That's not where we dwell. Your dwelling is with the eternal God. And that is how you face 2023. You see, at the heart of the relationship which the believer in Christ has with God is the fact that God has actually literally made a promise to you. He came to Adam and Eve and to Abraham with a promise. And he has said that I will be a God to you. We call that a covenant. And what that means is that God has promised to keep you and to provide for you, first of all, yes, eternal life. But life itself. Life in all that God has called us to before him. That is to provide all that you need. That begins with salvation. Now Moses highlights this by mentioning the generation. God is not a God who just deals with the present. He came to Adam and Eve. But his promise to Adam and Eve was a promise to all of us. He made his covenant with Abraham. And when he made that covenant with Abraham and his seed from generation to generation, we look back and we see how we think things have changed. We look to the future and we say we have a little confidence. But that's not about us. It's about God. And this God does not change. He does not forget. He does not react to situations. He does not depend upon man to be and to do the right thing. He is God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Yes, God does hold every generation accountable. We are told in Psalm 78, for example, that if we want our next generation and the generation to come and the generation after that to know the same God that we do, then we had better teach our generation that God. So I want to be very careful. We ought to praise God for the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. But that is not where we put our hope and our confidence. We look to the unchanging God. He, He will keep those who dwell with Him and not with this world. You see, God does not call you to isolate yourself from the world. I think sometimes there is a tendency to do that, and it's a very dangerous tendency, in my opinion. 
You cannot raise your children in a vacuum, nor should you. You cannot say, well, look at how terrible the world is out there. We better build big walls around ourselves and protect ourselves and keep that world out there, uh, keep ourselves safe from that world out and keep it out there away from us. That is not really having God as your dwelling place. So today, we live in the presence of God by His Word. And enjoy Him by His direction. Beginning with worship, but equally in your family, in your work, your daily activities. And in this world, holding high the flag of the truth of God, the light that shines and penetrates the darkness. Now certainly we would rather that the world in which we live, that the culture around us, would follow and appreciate the direction for life that we have from the Word of God. But there's a sense in which, and I'm serious about this, when we look at this dark world around us, it affords a tremendous opportunity. It's a good thing. Shine high the light of the gospel. We can clearly hold high the light of the gospel and the church can penetrate that darkness. There is no need to be afraid of the future. In fact, I would turn it around. When the light of the gospel is held high in this dark world, it is Satan who finds that scary. It really is. The really neat thing about this picture of life in Psalm 90 is not just, and it is that, the great psalm, we're very familiar with it. We take great courage, what a wonderful thing that we can learn that our God is the God that we can live with in spite of all of those things in the world. But it is yet so much more than that. It is that as we dwell in the presence of God, here and now, in the midst of this world that is out there, holding high the light of the gospel, we can live and we can serve God, the unchanging, eternal God. So we praise God for the privilege to serve Him in this new year. We do so as a people who, as Moses says, our dwelling place is with God. And then you know what? 2023 is going to be a great year. Let us pray. Our God and Father, indeed, what a comfort that our dwelling place is not in this world, but with you. We do pray for this world. We do pray that the truth of the gospel the light of the, of the eternal God would ever shine bright and penetrate the darkness. But we praise your name that you have called us out of that world into your marvelous light. And that while we are sojourners here, our life is with you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.